what are some tips or biggest lessons learned that you can share with people who are trying to get their foot in the door in the multifamily space? The first thing people should learn is underwriting. You actually don't have to be really, you have to understand how the numbers work and how people think money in this business. The second piece, which is probably even more important though, is just networking. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. And this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Very excited for today's show. It's a unique episode. We just have one person on the line with us today. We got David Weinstock with us. So Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian, for having me. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with this. So let's start out by talking about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, goodness. (laughs) You know, I uh, took a pretty winding course to real estate. Uh, I uh, first, I'm a I'm a resident of the Boston, Massachusetts area. This is where I lived. I mm-hmm. spent most of my working years before real estate, mm-hmm. um, living off planes, trains, and automobiles as a consultant. Yeah. So I spent a year in Texas, Chicago, West Coast, mm-hmm. Jersey. You name it. I've I've been there. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of hotels, a lot of airports, yep. and probably not a lot of what else that was there. I started as a startup guy in technology consulting. Mm-hmm. Nice. So getting from technology consulting and flying all around, what was the trigger or what was the, the moment that made you realize that you wanted to start in real estate investing? I always liked real estate and I always wanted to get in real estate. And mm-hmm. uh, I actually have a story. Yeah. Early on in my technology career, where I was an accidental mm-hmm. investor and landlord. And so in my 20s, in one of my first startup jobs, I was flying everywhere. And you know, at one point I was renting a couch from a friend of mine because mm-hmm. I was never home. Yeah. And I got tired of paying rent to other people and I wanted to buy an apartment. So I wanted to buy a mm-hmm. condo because Boston has, you know, two, three, four family buildings and they were mm-hmm. converting the condo. So I wanted to buy a condo so I would have something to call my own. And I'd get a roommate and, and be fine. I happened to be playing poker with a bunch of guys, and I was the young guy mm-hmm. in the crowd. Everyone was 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys was a mortgage broker. And so he, of course, volunteered, oh, Dave, you're interested in getting a place? Let me do a pre-approval for you. Mm-hmm. And so I gave him an address, and I was looking at a condo. Mm-hmm. And he gave me two pre-approval letters, mm-hmm. one for the building and one for the condo. And I thought he made a mistake. I said, oh, I really appreciate this. but yeah. I think you made a mistake that you gave me one for the whole building. You could buy either if you wanted to. I'm like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> and so I have enough gray hair. Yeah. So this is pre bigger pockets. I didn't understand the whole mm-hmm. house hacking or the burr method or any of that stuff. But, you know, the wheels started grinding and I, I really like numbers. Mm-hmm. And I said, so I can basically buy a two family mm-hmm. and have tenants live there mm-hmm. and a roommate. And that will be cheaper than me buying my own condo. Mm-hmm. And the light bulb went off. And so I actually was really into the investing in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. The problem is I didn't understand this concept of the Burr method because yeah. 
it wasn't coined at this point. So I was really good about buying it and renovating it. I had a college roommate moved in. We renovated it ourselves. Top <laughs> unit got two nights and said, hey, we're going to move downstairs and we'll rent out the upstairs. We did it down below. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that, I said, hey, I'm going to go buy another house. And he said, good luck with that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he didn't want to go on that journey. I think I burned him out. <laughs> but that point of like refinance and repeat, which is what's yeah. the really powerful part of that Burr model, was completely lost on me. And I was working on startups and, and my my full career in consulting. So mm-hmm. I got headhunted out of college and I was in employee number 300. Mm-hmm. I jumped to another one. I was employee number 150. I yep. jumped to another one. I was employee number 50 until it was me and three guys in the room. Mm-hmm. And we started our own company. Yeah. So I had known real estate was interesting and I knew that the numbers worked, but I mm-hmm. just couldn't figure out how to buy That's more scale. than one or two. I just, could, yeah. I just couldn't get enough of the down payment. And I was, you know living life, you know? Yeah. I would drive by, I remember the road to get to my in-laws house, you know, there was a bunch of duplexes on that, the road that we travel on. And I remember passing by those and thinking, man, I wish I could just buy a duplex. I wish I, it was as big as I could think of at the time. And similar to you, you know, I, I bought a couple of, of houses and it was working, but I couldn't figure out how to do the refinance. I couldn't figure out how to scale it. You know, I it was just wait till I have enough money to put another chunk down and buy another one. And sometimes that was, you know, a long time between deals. But yeah, so cool. I think slow and steady works for some people. Yeah. But then you realize that it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. slow and steady. And like thinking about just your own capital or just waiting to save up can actually be limiting if you want to take that route as a full-time endeavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when did that moment come for you where you you wanted to start scaling, you want to start doing bigger things with real estate? It's funny. I mentioned before I'd done a, a startup mm-hmm. and... When we sold the startup to private equity, they rolled up a bunch of companies and said, hey, you know, we'd really like you to travel again. Do you want to get on the road? And I just got married and had a kid. And I said, that'd be great for somebody else. I don't I don't want to do that anymore. And I left. I went to corporate America for a few years. And then that wasn't fun for me anymore. And so when I left corporate America, I didn't really know about scaling or what I wanted to do. I just kind of jumped out and I became a developer. Actually, I started mm-hmm. doing condo conversions myself, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what would I do for my next job. But then I started really loving the development side of it. Yeah, But scale took me a while. I really have to be honest, scale took me a while. Mm-hmm. I was learning my craft and took a long path because I started doing condo conversions that I did ground up infill yeah. in the city. Then I started doing subdivisions. Then I started doing adaptive reuse and deep value add apartments. Mm-hmm. It was only about three years ago. So I've, I've been out of the, the corporate world for eight years, but it's only about three years ago that I actually said, you know, I have friends and family that always would want to toss in a couple of dollars to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I'd use almost all my funds and say, oh, I'm a little short for this. And do you want to come out of this one? You want to come on this one? And it took a while for the light bulb to go off that I was providing opportunities that they didn't have access to. And yeah. they were providing capital to get a higher return than they were getting in a bank account or getting it wiped out in the stock market. Mm-hmm. And so about three years ago, also when COVID hit. Mm-hmm. So it was a weird time to be starting out, but that's when I started beginning to scale. And I had to learn a little bit, had to you know start building the network, but that's really the light bulb for me. And now I'm joint venture on things. I'm syndicating things and mm-hmm. kind of leading deals. And I'm in the, in the process of launching a fund. Awesome. So I'm trying to get all those things out there because you know, for me, it's about finding those opportunities and helping people scale. And I'm a believer that you can lift all boats at once if you're helping 
mm-hmm. the right players. So that's yeah. that's the plan. That's that's how I found scale. Awesome, awesome. So so you specifically mentioned three things. Well, I mean, the I had a conversation, you know, yesterday with somebody else, and I'm at a thousand units trying to scale. And you know, somebody looked at me and said, "I'd I'd love to be where you are." You know, I, I would consider myself scaled when I get to where you're at. You know, and yeah, I think I'm I'm also looking for scale here. But isn't that funny? It's it is all perspective, and I I think for anyone watching this. This is all about the journey, enjoying the process of where we're going. And it just becomes additive. I mean, Mm -hmm. just by being in the business and doing more, you scale and it gets easier because the processes are in place, the network is in place. Mm -hmm. But whether you have a single duplex and it's $100,000 or you've got a billion dollars under management, like everybody's still looking and and wants to continue going. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. it's, It's a great industry. Yeah. And I'm, I'm having fun still. I mean, that's part of it, you know, is I, I do enjoy what I do and I do and help. I enjoy helping others to, to get into the game and do what they want to do. So I'm going to go back to a previous comment you made. You mentioned, you know, you, you're, you syndicate, you sponsor deals, you do JV and you're starting a fund. So if you don't mind, let's talk about each one of those and maybe discuss what you're doing in each of those areas. And yeah, let's just go from there. So syndicating JV and, and starting a fund. Yeah. So let me go back. So I was buying deals predominantly with myself. Mm -hmm. Like I was providing the majority of the capital and I was doing the majority of the work. And so I would have small joint ventures with people coming in Mm -hmm. and then starting to meet some people that were a little more of an active roll your, you know, sleeves up a little bit. And so we would start dividing the tasks. So we would take on, you know, some smaller portfolios, you know, 20 units here or 50 units here. And get one or two people that we would all share both Mm -hmm. the equity and the management side of it. So a lot of good, you know, conversations, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But that only works with the right partners at the right time in the right place. Yes. Capital, your personal capital is finite. You know, when you open it up to others, it's more just how many investors do you want to try and find or how many relationships for the size of deal you want. They don't necessarily want or have the time and effort to have a seat at the table. So Joint ventures for kind of my active participants and the folks that you know, yeah. know me for a while and want to roll their sleeves up a little bit. And those are good for, you know, certain things. Syndications. Mm-hmm. So places where, honestly, the, the capital is either, you know, bigger than a single check we want to write mm-hmm. or we want to do multiple projects or it's a capability where I have a local partner mm-hmm. that is local to the area and I want to help put the deal together, but I don't have all the capital to do it. So we'll syndicate yeah. it out and, and get... Anywhere from five to 20 investors is the typical mm-hmm. you know, pool of, of folks we need and put the deal together and you know, run it a little more professionally, so to speak, yeah. you know, more reporting, a little more rigor than the joint venture where everyone's already in the room together. Yeah. And then the last piece on the fund, honestly, this is a way to diversify. Mm-hmm. So similar to you, I meet a lot of really interesting people. And there's people not quite to where I'm at today and people that are way beyond where I'm at today. And I figure what I'm really good about doing right now is I'm meeting more and more people who are looking for investment opportunities. But as you know, to find a good opportunity and for your standards takes a lot of time and effort. And so it's not like you got five deals every month that you can always be blasting out to people. You're very selective, right? Yeah. And so I figured the fund allows me to offer diversified options to people that are it's different return profile than my own deals, 
But for people who are looking to deploy capital, looking for more opportunities, I can give them access to those things. So I've been able to get some relationships with some much larger sponsors that have, you know, literally almost a billion dollars under management that are doing things at such a higher scale in lots of different markets. So I'm focused primarily in the Carolinas and kind of the Atlanta metro and Georgia areas where the fund allows more geographic diversity as well as the asset class. Awesome. So choose your own adventure, really. Yeah. You know, and it sounds like what I'm doing, actually. You know, I've done a couple of JVs. We're open to more JVs. I am, you know, looking for deals as lead sponsors now. And I also have my own fund, you know, so take advantage of a couple of opportunities and diversification when and where I can. I think it's, uh, I think it's like the natural progression after you start getting in. Well, for me, it seemed natural. But so you mentioned, you know, the the Southeast. And before we started recording, you said you were in Charlotte looking at deals. Tell me why why Southeast and, and what type of stuff are you looking for there? Yeah. So there's two reasons for kind of the Southeast and the, and the areas I'm in. First, I told you my a, a very logistical mm-hmm. reason. Yep. As much as I love partnerships, I'm still a very type mm-hmm. A personality. And so I like to be able to visit assets. I like to be there for the due diligence mm-hmm. and help to find them, even though I want a local boots on the ground partner in whatever area mm-hmm. I'm working in. And so I pick metros that I can get on a plane that morning, yeah. visit for the day and still get home that night. And after, you know, 15 years as a consultant on planes and trains, you know, two to three hours is a very easy hop and a commute. And that yes. gives me access from Boston to you know, Atlanta markets and up and down and East Coast mm-hmm. markets up and down and a little bit of that Southeast belt. I'm not opposed to markets on the West Coast and the Midwest, but I don't, it's a farther commute for me. It's not something that I'm as you know familiar with. So that would be a harder stretch. But yeah. for my diversified fund, you find people that are operating at scale. It's an easier piece mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. In addition to trying to pick a place where it was easy to commute back and forth on the plane, the economics in both like the Charlotte and the Carolina markets, as well as the Atlanta markets, we're lifting all boats. I mean, the population growth is higher in those areas. The economic growth is higher in those areas. Average rent growth is higher in those areas. And they have large enough cities that they're being fed into. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think I may have mentioned before, I'm actually not that great at this game and I'm not that smart. But what I am is finding places where all boats are lifting, finding yep. a deal that is pretty good or, you know, a good deal, mm-hmm. and then making sure I can execute, you know, both for, you know, our general partnership team and our investors. And so being in areas that have that economic growth engine behind them, just allow everybody to do well. And it, I think it takes a bit of the risk out of it because mm-hmm. you don't want to own 10% of the market in a small town that may be eroding jobs or have yeah. one major employer that that leaves. And I know that that's different than folks that do student housing, mm-hmm. but a college tends not to go out of business yeah. or move their operations overnight. Mm-hmm. Whereas we do see manufacturing and other things that has shifted over time. Yeah. So I, I like diversity of employers, diversity of the yeah. you know types of people living there. Yeah. And I, I I look at the same things. I mean, I spent a lot of time in the military and I've seen these, you know, towns that are adjacent to military bases and, you know, 80% of the employment is from that base. And when personnel strength goes down, those towns tank. And so you mentioned diversity of the job market. I think that's huge. And something that I, 
I, I use this as an analogy a lot is it's just a sailboat analogy. You know, if if the boat's your multifamily investment, you know, you got winds and you've got currents and those come from the markets that you're in. If the wind is blowing the direction you want to go in the market you're in, it's a lot easier to get your boat where you want it to go. But uh, for sure. Yeah. So, well, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. One thing I wanted to add is, you know, I'm in addition to the markets, I'm a bit of a housing geek. So mm -hmm. because I come as a developer first, mm -hmm. you know, I do a lot of studying about housing metrics and, you know, housing shortages and then mm -hmm. types of folks there. So like that also is one of those things. So you look at the market and we just don't have enough places for people to live. Yeah. And so I look to areas if they're going to be saturated or not. And if they're building fast enough, because I will make the one counterpoint, I'll, I'll do it to Charlotte where I just came back from they're growing like gangbusters, but they're also building like gangbusters. Yeah. So investing in those markets, I'm always about, are you in the right path of progress? Mm -hmm. Are you too far ahead of it? There's a lot of nuance to the local markets yep. that still matter, even if you're in a growing metro where all boats are lifting. Yeah. So that's my only little caveat there. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And I was looking at the the forecast for Salt Lake specifically, because that's where I'm focused. And they're going to have a record year in deliveries you know, this year and next year, you know, and uh, a study that the University of Utah put out said that they're going to get absorbed so fast that it's not even going to put a blip on the radar. I mean, they said the market vacancy is going to go from two point something to three point something, you know, and so they basically said, yeah, we're getting record deliveries two years in a row, but we're still lagging behind the growth is is what, what the report yeah. said. So, I mean, for me, that's that's an indicator that things are going to do extremely well, you know, growing like gangbusters, building like gangbusters, you know, which which trend is is the stronger one and where's the biggest supply and demand imbalance is, is one thing I love looking at. Yeah, so, I'm in agreement for sure. Cool, cool. All right. So questions here now. So talking to the aspiring investors that listen to the show. All right. What are some biggest tips or biggest lessons learned that you can share with people who are trying to get their foot in the door in the multifamily space? Mm -hmm. The first thing people should learn is underwriting. You actually don't have to be really, you have to understand how the numbers work and how people make money in this business. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the first piece. The second piece, which is probably even more important though, is just networking. You yeah. know, being in the room, raising your hand, putting yourself out there to learn, to be active, to do it. And then I think the third, you know, I'm, I'm the worst person to talk about scaling because it's taken me so long to get traction under it. And I'm a type A that needs to, yep. to touch it, feel it and do these things. But I think in the day and age of the internet, and there's so many great groups online, and there's podcasts like yours where people can learn, get that education and you can leapfrog. You don't have to start. You can start with a duplex and, and house hack it, but you don't have to. Yeah. You can band together with a couple of guys and buy something of a moderate size or go with, you know, a bigger group and just take a small piece of that to learn the ropes. But but really, I mean, this is such a great time for someone to be getting started now. A truly great, great time to do so. I know yeah. the economics are a little bit strange as we might, you know, tow in and out of recession, but but there are deals all the time. Yeah. And it's just if you are looking for the deal and you're ready for the opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I think being ready for the opportunities is big, you know, and something that I've noticed recently, you know, I, I mentioned to you before we do this, I, I look for opportunities as key principles. You know, we've had a lot of people bring us deals. And I think part of the readiness is 
you know, a lot of people don't have the finances to be able to pay that earnest money deposit, you know, and that's, that's kind of one of the things that I've been seeing a lot is, you know, you, you have to be ready to take advantage of the opportunities, you know, but the other part that you mentioned is, is kind of a, uh, you know, kind of the, the answer to that already is network, you know, get in rooms with a lot of other people and you can probably find somebody who'll take care of that in exchange for, you know, a certain portion of the deal. Yeah. There's the scale of these deals, no matter if it's a, you know, 12 units or, or 200 units or, or 2000 units, there's room to share. And if anything, this is such a team sport, like going out alone is a recipe for, you know, a panic attack and not being able to deliver really. Yeah. The more you can share the load, the better. And you find you might gravitate more towards one side of the business or the, or the other. But mm-hmm. to your point on being ready for the opportunity, whether you're a KPA, et cetera, that's the thing. Get in the room, network with the folks, figure out what people are comfortable doing or who you can call on your Rolodex. Yeah. As the Rolodex grows, so does your capacity for the types of deals you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool. Well, I think we're at a, a good stopping point. You know, a lot of good advice shared. I very much appreciate that. Thanks for sharing your story as well. So one last question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? Fabulous. They can contact me directly at www.investwithdw.com. Okay. That's my contact card. I'll also nice. leave them to my actual home website, DW Capital LLC. But yeah, I, I love meeting with folks. Feel free to reach out if you want to talk about opportunities. We've got some educational pieces as well. And and that's the best way to do it. Brian, thank you so much for having Absolutely. me on here. And yeah. you know, I'm just honored to to be uh, among your guests. I know you've had some really wonderful folks and uh, you'll continue to do so. So and I love your you're, podcast. You're, you're one more wonderful folk to, is that wonderful folk? Can, can you do that? Similar? <laughs> You you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. But uh, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.